Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Rincon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. I'm not complacent, not lackadaisical, not that I don't care, I'm not a nihilist, right? I am someone that I'm okay right now in the present moment. I'm not looking at the past and letting all the traumas just always hang over my head. I'm aware of them, they're there. And I'm aware that there's a future out there. I'm not worried about it. I'm able to remain present. And in that presence, in being present, I can find inner peace and happiness. So how might we, my friends out there listening, how might we learn to practice gratitude, curiosity, and self-compassion, which is patience and grace to yourself and others on a way to getting inner peace and happiness? Like we talked about earlier, you look at over the course of time, humans only need really two things. They really only need to feel heard, appreciated, valued. That's number one. And number two, feel like they're making progress. They can feel those two things, then most people are gonna be pretty happy with that. Well, I don't know about you better than a show listener, but I feel like sometimes I could use a dose of positivity and a dose of optimism in my life. And that's what you're gonna get today with Matt Drinkon. He is the host of the Eternal Optimist podcast. And he's also somebody who has an amazing coaching career, who coaches really, really high level CEOs. And we get into all sorts of things. But what I was really left with after this conversation was just how amazing Matt's mindset is, how he gets through adversity, how he responds to change, how he shows up for his family and his customers. And ultimately, he's just a force for good in this world. So I was just blown away by Matt's attitude, by his mindset. He brings some amazing stories into play. He's a great storyteller. You're going to be on the edge of your seat with this one. He really gives the shares the goods too in terms of, okay, how do you stay positive? How do you be curious with yourself? How do you actually show yourself some love and and some grace as well? So we get into all of that. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Matt Trinkon. He's an amazing, amazing soul. And uh, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I'm Mike Abramowitz here with Andrew Biggs and a special guest today, Matt Drinkon. We actually mentioned Matt on a few different episodes because Matt has recommended several people to the podcast. We just had Matt King recently on the show as well. We talked a little bit about Matt Drinkon. And I will tell you, this guy is just a remarkable human. I have a special place in my heart for Matt because when I was dealing with the hospital stay and just trying to balance being a dad and being a husband and joining front row dads. He was one of the first dads of the group to reach out to me and see what he could do to support. And I don't know if I will ever forget that gesture of kindness. And I'm just so grateful that we get to have you on the show, Matt. So welcome to Better Than Rich Show, brother. And Mike, I appreciate it. Didn't you get the bill 
for all those times that we did spend on the phone because you were supposed to get an oh, invoice I, for that. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, you, you are getting billed for that. Lost in the email. Uh, Maybe it's in your spam folder, Mike. So make sure you check that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm glad I moved. <laughs> I get that a lot. That's okay. That's okay. No, I, I like to I like to make jokes. And Mike, I love you, man. You've been inspiring to me. You're on my show and your episode, just sharing your journey with your family growing up. And then when you're starting a family, all the opportunity to overcome challenge and show love in your heart, you've just been inspirational to me and still are. And I also want to throw a plug out there. If you don't know, Mike and Andrew, they run this great company with virtual assistants, which I have a goal to employ you or to reach out to you on that before the end of April. So you'll be hearing from me there. Otherwise, just thank you guys for having me on the show. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure's all ours. I mean, you have some freaking track record, man. I remember you as like the Cutco guy and the Cutco legend, but you've exceeded some really huge numbers in the business as a CEO coach. I know it has in, what, $130 million, if I'm not mistaken, as far as what your career sales have exceeded in different business ventures and you're a part of different unbelievable groups. So there's so many directions that we could start and that we can go, Matt. But I think it would be really helpful if you just kind of take us, why don't you take us back to what got you into being an entrepreneur, being a coach? Where did the journey begin for you and what led you to being one of the most sought out influential coaches of CEOs that I know, at least. I'd love to just kind of have our listeners hear your story a little bit. Well, thank you for asking. And it all started at around 12, 15 a.m. back in college when I was on the way on a Saturday night. I was sitting in the back right-hand seat of an old Chevy Caprice Classic. It was a diesel engine. It was loud and clunky. It were on the way to Papa Sam's, which is the, the Spartanburg, South Carolina version of Waffle House. And I'm getting ready to finish up my junior year in college. And I'm about to face some real facts Number one, I have not taken off my golf career in college, so I'm probably not on this track yet. I mean, I'm an eternal optimist, guys. And at the same time, I'm not making it in big in golf yet. I haven't even made the team, the travel team for a travel match yet. So I probably need to find something else. And I'm a year away from graduating. And I don't have any idea what I'm going to do yet. So I know I was making $5.50 an hour doing physical labor in the summer times and waiting tables and bartending during college to pay for school. So I've got to figure out something to do. And I see a sign the side of the road said $10 an hour per appointment. And that was how I started my entrepreneurial journey of selling Cutco knives. One of the best decisions I ever made was going that interview. And as much as I wanted to leave at the end of the interview, because this was not what I thought it was going to be at the time, I thought I was going to be working in some store selling sporting goods. That was the advertisement back in the day, 25 years ago. That cute girl, Melissa Linton, who's still a good friend to this day, Facebook friend and does properties down in Charleston. She, well, I wanted to go and be close <laughs> to Melissa. So I took the job so I can go and talk to her. And we're still good friends to this day. And as it turns out, Cutco was awesome. So my entrepreneurial journey started there. And once I got the taste of my own schedule in that first comma check, you know what I'm talking about, that first four digits left the decimal, I was like, I'm in, I want this. I want more and more comma checks. I want more flexibility. So I was hooked then and it went through a career at Cutco. I was there for about six years, one year as a rep selling and five years as a branch and district manager. I love the experience. It was great. I learned so much in business. The same things I know you learn, Mike. I learned everything from the start 
to the finish, from business plans to hiring, firing, recruiting, interviewing, training, to running a team, looking at culture, to pouring Mountain Dew all over my head to get the team all fired up and to drench myself in the energy that comes when you pour Mountain Dew in your head. Disclaimer, if you really do that, energy does not come to you, but you can create it in your brain at least. So those things all happen. I love selling Cutco and I loved even more the development of the people. So that became a consistent theme. I love to get in there and coach and lead and develop people in that way. So I did Cutco for six years. Unfortunately, my dad died at the end of that time. So I went into a little bit of a funk for about six months. Then we found, let's try, because my dad wrote it in his journal that I would read later, right? Let's try to play pro golf. My dying, my dead father's only regret was that he couldn't catch me on the pro golf tour. So when my mom found that journal entry, that diary, and gave it to me and said, hey, check this out. I was like, I'm re-inspired again. Had a mission again. Went to go play pro golf. Failed miserably, guys. I'll just cut to the point. If you Google me for pro golf, you won't see squat. Because I didn't make any cuts. I didn't make any money. You know, And that there's a little bit of an ego hit there that I stopped a successful career to go and do something that I actually made no money in and completely failed and flopped on it. So that was a little bit of an ego bruiser. Then I went back and got my first corporate job. And I did that for three years at a company called Clear or Clearwire and opened up their direct sales team in Atlanta, Georgia, which was the number one sales team in the country for a little bit of time. Promotion, you know, went to run Nashville, then helped build Philadelphia. And then they moved me to Boston to go open the Boston market, not the store, the market for Clear. And then in a very house of cards, episode one, season one, like way, they told me one day I had to go and let go of everyone on my team but two people. So I had to do a mass layoff of 15 employees making 75K a year or more in one day. That was so incredibly painful. I felt at that point that the corporate place may not be the place for me. Oh, and by the way, they laid me off 30 days later to the day, right? And hired someone a third the price, you know, then sold the company a year later. And oh, that was so frustrating. But in any event, corporate America may not be the place for me. So I did one more corporate gig for three years here where I am in Charlotte, North Carolina. I worked for a man that I love, still love to this day, Curtis. He was great, had great people around me. I was starting to get the itch back though, guys. You know that itch when you're at the highest end of middle management and you have to enforce policy, but you can't make it? As an entrepreneur, you can do whatever you want to do. You know, within the confines of whatever it is your values are. And I think my values, I feel pretty great about them. I feel strong about integrity and doing what's best for people and following through what you say you're going to do. More humility, less ego, more love. These are my core values. They're right behind the webcam. I can read them right there. I keep them there all the time. So I left after three years, work here in Charlotte in that second corporation. So I was in six years in corporate America. And then I came to this. I came to coaching. I came to coaching in 2014, September. And man, it has been the best ride. I have gotten to meet the most amazing people who have shared the depth of all of their biggest challenges in their business. And for those of you out there who are coaches, if you're new at it, then you may start to see this. You start with all these business challenges and where it almost always inevitably goes is what we might call under the waterline, the psychology that's holding you back. And you get to go to work with people and strengthen their mindset. And you get to work with them on having this place where they can be more engaged with their families, pour more into themselves, not be so burnout and workaholic-y. <laughs> yes, that's in the dictionary, workaholic-y, <laughs> right? And so I would say that now the thing I love the most that leads me to coaching where I'm at today, which I love, is I get to teach. 
and work with recovering perfectionists and highly functioning workaholics who want to figure out a way to simplify things and grow and scale. And that's what I do. Love it. And I've been doing it for nine years now. So yeah. that's incredible, man. Thanks for taking us on that awesome ride. And I'm just taking notes over here of just like how great a storyteller you are. <laughs> Even I'm like, I was with you in that Chevy Caprice classic at 12, 15 in the morning. So thanks for just giving us a masterclass on how to tell a story as well. I'm curious with this, the last nine years, you've been coaching CEOs. You talked about how a lot of times the surface level problem is not the real problem. From your perspective, what is the real problem then? Can you give some examples of that without obviously divulging being confidential? But what are the themes that you see? Because you don't just work with, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. You work with really high, high level folks, top performers, high achievers, folks who are ambitious and have big dreams and visions. So tell us what do you see are the common themes in your coaching that comes up for them? Well, I'd say that every person out there has their stuff, their own internal struggle, their own internal challenge. And one of the more common ones that I've seen, I'll give you a specific example, is I have a client right now who is a legend in their industry. I say the name, everyone knows who I'm talking about, legend in their industry. And this particular client really struggles with this idea of being a perfectionist. They've got to do everything perfect. And the biggest challenge that this particular client has in business is that every single thing has got to be micromanaged to the nth degree and the nth detail. And when we coach them how to empower people and their team to do it, they take the lesson, they go empower people, the people are fired up, they come back and they share, this is what I did. And the owner still, oh, that's great. But did you think about putting this extra 2% on top of it? (laughs) I mean, it is such a level of it's got to be done my way. And I see that a lot. That was me for the longest time is that dose of perfectionist where it's super strong and driven is the strength. But every strength has a dark side. And that dark side, that Achilles heel for the perfectionist, many times is control. So I will help them to understand how their relationship started with needing to be in control. And many times it starts with a family member, or it starts with their first coach they had in sports, or the first boss they had in their very first job. It starts somewhere in their past, their relationship with the idea of being in control. It shows its head in many different facets. I'm working with another CEO level person right now who's challenged with control is that they have a really hard time receiving any feedback from anyone that they truly respect or who's higher in the totem pole than they are. They can receive feedback from employees all the time, from friends, from family members, from their significant other. That's fine. When they get feedback from a certain person who might be higher than them in the totem pole, they feel like they've given up control a little bit and that they have to be subservient and they feel like an imposter and they get angry when they have to receive feedback from that person. So it can go any number of ways, gentlemen. But the main thing is that everyone has their own stuff. A common challenge that I see is this need to do it my way and be perfect and be in control. So I'd say that a number of things that I work with for myself, with coach that I have, and with other leaders is around this idea of being able to let go of control, as an example. My curiosity there is, so are you taking them to a stillness best practice to like unclutter the mind? Is that the direction that you take these CEOs? Because obviously control is in the outside world and there's really the only thing that we can control is the inside world because everything outside of us is fairly circumstantial. There's only so much that we can influence, but I'd love to, I don't want to assume anything. So that's why I'm 
more so curious, is that the direction that you usually take? Or you think about time, you can't really control time, but you can control how I approach time. I can't control people, but I could control how I influence people. But it all comes back to me. Is that kind of the direction there? So I'd say a couple of responses here. I'll get really tactical here on a couple different ways that we might work on that control issue. Number one, I think you hit, you nailed it. It's stillness. I think John Roman, front row dad, said something like a few months back, he said, stillness is a move. And that's true. You know, stillness is a real move. It's an intentional move where we pause and we let things flow through us. So I think stillness is a way that we can show our emotional intelligence by being able to be present and by pausing. So to answer your question directly, yes, we will practice something as specific as heart-centered breathing. You know, that I've learned from Dr. Roland McCready of the Heart Math Institute. And if you do an exercise like that, heart-centered breathing, it's you can Google that and do that. I won't walk through exactly what that is today, but heart-centered breathing is one exercise. For the high empathy player, I will use a heart-centered breathing approach. For someone like me who is probably more process-driven and cerebral, kind of in their head, and a big thinker, I won't go with the heart center breathing. I will take them on a more traditional approach. I will take them to some box breathing, you know, four, breathe in, four, hold it, eight, breathe out. I'll take them on more of a process driven, less of feeling and more of that type of process. That's one method is this stillness or meditation. That's one. The one that I found that's very powerful that I'm working with now with a number of clients is an exercise where we will identify whatever the big challenge is that they are facing. Let's say that the challenge is, well, let's say it's what we've been talking about. It's kind of a perfectionist. Everything's got to be in control, whether it's, you know, the way that I manage my schedule, the way that I manage my employees, the way that I show up, my kids have to do what I say when I do it. My spouse has to stay in order and do things in a certain way. Someone who is a perfectionist and maybe a little bit of a control person. What I might do with that person is we might identify that control is a challenge for them help them become really aware of it. So step one is identify the challenge. Step two is to identify what examples can you share with me in your past of where this control has hindered or hurt you? you So I'll get them to go through the very painful and tedious exercise of being able to identify specific examples in each of these buckets of where control has hurt them. An example for me personally, it just came up yesterday or a couple days ago the need to control or to be in control the way things are done. I'm getting ready to go on a five-mile jog with my oldest daughter. She's riding the electric scooter. My youngest daughter was so excited. She runs out the door. She's ready to play. She's ready to go on this run with us. She's going to ride the other scooter. Man, she'd been running around the mud, and her feet were all muddy and wet. She tried to put her shoes on. And I was like, dear, before you put your shoes on, you got to have socks on. There was her feet were wet and muddy, and I said, "You gotta have socks on." She's like, "No, no, I'm ready to go right now." And I had to stand firm in my control that you have to have socks on. That was an example where I felt that this way that we do things is: if you have wet feet, you're going to put socks or dry your feet and put your shoes on. She was just going to put them on. She did not. She ends up crying, running inside, and it begins a spiral of things that happen where then no one's happy, and it's just challenging for all of us. And I needed to be in control personally at that time. I went back and thought about it later. And what's the worst that could happen if I don't correct the behavior? (laughs) Nothing. Her shoes get wet and stinky. I mean, she's four. She's going to grow out of them in a month anyways. And I let that happen. Right? That's one example. The other example, back to the business world, if you're a leader out there and you want to empower your people, you have a team meeting 
and you share with the team, I want you to come up with ideas on where we're going to go from here. Here's a project we want to bring to light. I would like for you to come up with all the ideas and bring them back to us. They go out, they work hard, they brainstorm, they come up with ideas, they bring it back. And then me as the leader, I might say, oh, well, I appreciate that. We've already done that. Next. And just shoot the idea down before they even finish saying it. Or they share the idea and you say, great idea. Hey, have you thought about putting this on top of it and just tweaking it just a little bit? Then it would be great. Those two things right there where you think you're empowering, you're actually doing the opposite of empowering. You're causing them to never, ever bring an idea to you ever again. You know, and these are the types of places that I walk into the environment with high-performing leaders, and they may have done this on accident, didn't even realize that they'd slighted their people. So I go and look for things like that and help them get to that place. But I would say that looking at places in the past where this issue has come up, that can be tedious and it can be painful. But I want to show them that this is not something that you're using to your advantage. If you were to use control to your advantage where it's best for you, it's best for the people, best for all the stakeholders, what might that look like? And almost inevitably, they come up to the conclusion, hmm, man, it's actually not to my advantage to do this. If I were to take a step back and empower them and let them do it and figure it out, that would be more to everyone's advantage if I do that. I just gave you the cheat code. That's the conclusion they come up with. So no one actually, no one listened to this who's ever had this challenge before because I just told you what's probably going to happen. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> but that's an example. Two examples, you know, the stillness slash meditation is an example. And the second might be the exercise of looking into the past for areas where this has hurt or hindered you. All right. And then here's the bonus exercise for anyone out there. What can you reasonably predict is going to happen in the future? We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future, but we can reasonably predict that if I go down this path, that this might happen. There's a strong chance this might happen. Well, if you know that a certain conversation is coming and you know with reasonable certainty that by continuing this behavior, something else is going to happen, then let's project into the future a little bit. What might I reasonably predict might happen by continuing to do this behavior? What might happen? And walk through that exercise. And many times they'll come to the conclusion themselves. Some of them don't. And those that don't, I will share with them. Well, here are three examples of when someone doesn't let go of control, how that alienates and always causes top performers to either leave, resent you, and then eventually end up leaving in very bad terms or leave. They ghost you because they don't know how to tell you that they're just gone. And that happens fairly frequently. So I think that might be the answer to your question, or at least that's my interpretation. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great answer, Matt. And I love how you've outlined that. And it's just getting them to see the consequences of their actions really is what I heard there at the last point and helping them see that the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. And that's where that mental shift and that commitment shift can move over into the positive side. I'd love to throw one more more thought at you here, guys, because I'm thinking of a real personal example here that I'm certain that people can relate to. My wife left her last job in October and we had the ambition that together we want to start another company. And I got some experience in starting companies from scratch and working with people and being an entrepreneur. And this might be her first real venture into it like that. And I felt that I needed to share my opinion and be a part of the whole process. And what I didn't realize is that she was coming to me with all these great ideas and I was doing the exact thing that I'm coaching other people to not do. I was doing it. She was bringing the ideas and I was asking questions that were framed in a way that really nullified all the effort and attention she was putting into it. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't realize I was doing it. And that's why we need a coach to help point things out to us. Because I'm going over with my coach, 
how things are going in our relationship and how things are going in our new business together. He's like, well, uh, have you thought about when you actually ask her questions and you assert that she should be doing it this way? Have you thought about how that actually impacts and it's actually the exact thing you're coaching people to not do and you're doing it, Matt? I'm like, oh, wow. So yeah, so I had to jump out of all of that, empower her totally to do it. And guess what? After two months of me doing that with her, she hadn't made a lot of progress because I've been stifling her. But when I let go, she has taken us all the way down to the finish line on a couple of big projects. And she's the one that's driving it. And she is fully empowered. And she is flying and soaring right now, my friends, because I let go. And now she's running with it. That happens all the time in business that we unintentionally cause our people to not do things and not take the initiative because we always have to add and sprinkle our two cents on as the owners. If we let them and empower them to make the mistakes and to try, then they're going to make a lot more progress by learning. It's like riding a bike. (laughs) You fall down a couple of times, then you'll learn what not to do. But you've got to have that in order to make forward progress. Well, kudos to you. Back to you. Doing a business deal with your wife (laughs) in itself is a great feat. And to make it a successful one at that, that's really great. I've always heard Don't mix, don't bring that business stuff to the household. That's only going to create chaos. So good for you. And you have several kids at home too. So between balancing uh, not not (laughs) overcoaching wife and not overcoaching, how many kids do you have at home? Well, just for those of you out there listening, if you have more than two kids, it's like you have yeah. a thousand kids. <laughs> I've got three. So it feels like a thousand kids. I have 3, about 3,000 children at home <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, really three, but it feels like 3,000 I mean, sometimes. Re- Loving really, me. really great. <laughs> I wanted to kind of circle back to some of this, not necessarily just the control, but like the self-awareness aspect of some things. So if we had to explore that just a little bit more of how might someone, we talked a little bit about the box breath. We talked a little bit about the journal activity. I love your question asking. When you asked me, how might I? Like you asked me that question when I was in the hospital. It's like, how might I? And you gave me a list of how might I questions that were so helpful because it almost like triggers, the might triggers a different emotion than how would you? You know, it's like, I've heard that many times, but Mm. you really accented that a ton when I saw your questions. And then when I also saw like your planner and how detailed you are with your task list and how you manage your time, I'm sure there's some components there of like just self-management, curiosity, using words like might. These are some of the things that I'm picking up from watching you and observing you that I believe that there's tremendous value that maybe if you just riffed on some of these things, gratitude or self-compassion or any of that, you could just riff, Matt, and I'd love to see where that conversation goes. I'm sure there's some gems there. Okay. Well, uh, it's not hard to get me talking, so just cut me off when it's time. I would share this. When a tiny distinction, which makes a huge difference, you said, how would you versus how might you? And it's interesting in the brain how those two words impact differently. How would you is something that goes to the logical side, the process, and the result side of your brain. It's not as creative. It's not as inspiring. It's straight, get to the point and make it happen. And it's that directness that removes all of the creativity and curiosity from it. How might I? How might we? How might you? That takes us to the more creative side of the brain, which is inspiring, which does allow us to think without limits. So I would always challenge with that type of question. So many leaders start team meetings, start their business day with, what do I need to do today? 
rather than how might I make today the most productive day I can, right? So I love the how might I frame. And if you ever are a fly in the wall in any coaching session or at their dinner table, or my wife and I are brainstorming on the business, every question we ask on the front end of the call, the front end of the meeting, it's always a how might I question because we want to inspire that creativity, that learning curiosity at the front end. At the end, if we need to take action, which I like to finish every coaching call with an action of some kind, then it'll be, what are you going to do? What's the next soonest, smallest step that you're going to take today that's going to help you get forward just a little bit? I love to use that question, especially when facilitating like retreats or big team company events. What's the soonest, smallest action? Because sometimes it can be overwhelming to try to think about, I'm going to accomplish this big, giant goal. We talked about inner peace and self-awareness. Here's the equation I'd invite you to consider. It's a, a three-part equation. I'll share the equation, and then we'll walk through one-on-one each of the steps. So the equation is gratitude plus curiosity plus self-compassion equals inner peace or happiness. Let me walk through those for a second so our listeners can get an idea of what that might mean in reality. Gratitude. What's an example of gratitude? Well, gratitude might be this. It might be that there are maybe 7 billion people on the planet. And if you're listening to this podcast today, in the stack ranking of people who have the access to resources, and we probably have a home or electricity, we at least have a phone or a computer, or at least are near one to be able to hear this. You got to look at our stack ranking in the world of prosperity and resources. We're probably in the top billion, right? We're probably in the top 100 million at least if we are listening to this show today. So gratitude is I'm grateful for this perspective that I'm here and I'm not there. Or I'm grateful today personally because it's coming up on my six-year, seven-year anniversary of when I was disabled in a wheelchair. And I couldn't golf and couldn't run and couldn't play with the kids, couldn't pick up a kid, couldn't make love to my wife, couldn't cook, couldn't get up the stairs. And I was literally laying downstairs on the floor of my office for like three months straight. Couldn't leave the house. I left the house three times in the last like month and a half, right? So that was a really, really tough time. And I'm grateful every day that I get to walk. So people ask me, how's your day going? How are you, Matt? I always respond the same, freaking awesome. I'm alive and I'm here and I'm healthy. So I'm very grateful. So gratitude is from the perspective of, look at all the things that we have. Number two is curiosity. So curiosity is not, man, it's them. If they would just show up and be better. Curiosity is not, man, this was a horrible experience going to this Spartan race and I cut my knee and my shoes got all dirty and my car's now dirty and I ran out of gas and all these challenging things happened at my first Spartan race, by the way. So I could have looked outside and blamed a lot and said it was this, it was that. Curiosity is the ability to take in and go inside and ask yourself, how might I learn from this experience? I'm genuinely curious. How might I learn to be a better podcast guest after being on the Better Than Rich show? How might I learn to fill up my March bracket better? Because if those of you listening, Andrew Biggs actually destroyed and dominated the March Brandis <laughs> bracket that I was in. So I'm just going to say that out loud and, and we'll never repeat it. Uh, but how might I learn to own? I'll start, and- offering, I'll start offering coaching calls next year. Next year, you know, you can join my five-day mini course on how to fill out your March Madness bracket. I got three out of the four final four teams just for, you know, everyone. I just want to make sure this is noted. And into perpetuity, this is locked in. So now I'm just, I'm just playing. Keep going, Matt. Matt, I cut you off. I have, have, actually, I have no curiosity towards that. I'm not seeking (laughs) happiness towards that. Uh, But curiosity, (laughs) how how might I be able to look at this as a gift? 
You know, how might I look at this incredibly challenging circumstance in front of me right now as an opportunity to spread some energy or positivity of the world? Because, you know, I know I got hard stuff going on right now, but you know what? Other people have much harder things going on than me. So I'm grateful for where I'm at. I'm curious of how I might learn from whatever's in front of me right now. I'm curious how I might learn from the experience of my four-year-old daughter running off screaming from me. What might I learn from that experience that happened two days ago? So curiosity. And then number three is probably one of the more challenging ones for the people that I coach and most of the high performers I'm around. Number three is self-compassion. That is defined as having a little bit of patience and grace with others and patience and grace with ourselves. And what I mean by patience and grace is, man, I scored 95 on that test. Darn it. I missed 5%. And I didn't score 100. And I'm really upset about it right now. Dan Sullivan would call that the gap in the gain thinking, living in the gap. And I'm always looking at those external things where they're causing this over here, where it's all extra, it's all challenging, and I didn't quite get the perfect thing, so I'm going to focus on where I'm not perfect. All right, self-compassion and grace is looking at all the things that we have accomplished, looking at the gain, looking at all the progress that we've made. Since the day that I had Mike Abramowitz on my show, the Eternal Optimist podcast, and he was a great guest, roughly episode 17, when Mike was on the show and told that amazing story, I remember that story, and I learned so much about patience and grace myself from Mike's personal story, right? And I am having more curiosity and patience myself because I know Mike. So I like to tie all this stuff together. Patience and grace with self. I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm not perfect. I'm human. I'm going to forgive and forget. Well, sometimes forget. I'm at least going to forgive You know, some of the things that are not perfect out there, like if an employee is three minutes late right? Or if Andrew Biggs talks smack to me on his show about dominating me in the March Madness bracket, you know, I'm going to have a little bit of patience and grace with Andrew's rudeness. I'm just teasing. It was Mike and Andrew were both equally rude to me there. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. I'd like to have a good time. So you take gratitude plus curiosity plus self-compassion, the three of those things together, that can equal inner peace, okay? Inner peace can be defined as being able to be present and I'm okay. I'm not complacent, not lackadaisical, not that I don't care. I'm not a nihilist, right? I am someone that I'm okay right now in the present moment. I'm not looking at the past and letting all the traumas just always hang over my head. I'm aware of them. They're there. And I'm aware that there's a future out there. I'm not worried about it. I'm able to remain present. And in that presence, in being present, I can find inner peace and happiness. So how might we, my friends out there listening, how might we learn to practice gratitude? curiosity, and self-compassion, which is patience and grace to yourself and others on a way to getting inner peace and happiness. Like we talked about earlier, you look at over the course of time, humans only need really two things. They really only need to feel heard, appreciated, valued. That's number one. And number two, feel like they're making progress. They can feel those two things. Then most people are going to be pretty happy with that. Right. So I want to help them find those two things in the coaching practice. I want to help them find that through this equation. And if they can just get on the path to doing that, then they'll be able to find that inner peace and happiness, or at least significantly increase the odds of finding it. So the question is, how do you find that now? And that's incredibly difficult if you look at it. I've got to go and figure all these things out today. So a little bit at a time, I'll bite off a little bit at a time. And like Mike and I have talked about before, I'll do it through journaling because I'm a big journaler. I'll do it for about 20 minutes a day. And I'll write down something that I'm grateful for every morning. I've been doing that for eight years in July, right? When it comes to curiosity, I'll start off every journal entry with the question, how might I something? Today, just so happens to be, I was talking about control. 
you know, how might I have let control own some of my decisions in the past? And how might I let control be a catalyst for making future growth and changes? Right. So how might I question helps me find curiosity and a little self-compassion and grace. I find that by writing down my gains every day in my journal, which I write and read every day, my gains. Right. So that's how I practice it. I have the question or the challenge for the listeners out there. How might you learn to practice these three qualities, these three characteristics, so you, my friends, can also have inner peace and happiness? That's awesome, Matt. It's fantastic. I love it. And I mean, thank you so much for outlining this equation. I'm inspired to give myself some more gratitude, compassion, and curiosity, and hopefully bring about even more greater peace. And Lord knows I need compassion from you and from everyone every single day. So sorry for being rude. <laughs> and and uh, so, rude. so rude. I know. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm half joking, but I'm also telling the truth that every single day, I definitely need compassion from those in my life. I'm curious, we could probably keep going for hours and hours. And I also know that you're a busy guy. We got to get you back to your clients here soon. I have a question though. Your podcast is the Eternal Optimist Podcast right? And we're in a world where optimism is kind of in short supply. I mean, it seems like more and more it's pessimism, right? Or nihilism or some, something that's that not very many people are preaching about optimism. How do you stay optimistic amidst maybe some of the, what seems like chaos in the world, or we're just coming off of, this is probably going to be released much later, but just yesterday, I think it was, or the day before was the Nashville school shooting. It's like, man, how do you stay optimistic in a world like this? You're somebody who seems to do it well. And also you're not somebody, you don't strike me as someone who's just hopped up on positivity all day long. You also have a well-rounded understanding of your emotions and others' emotions. How do you do that? Great question. Thank you for asking. I'd say eternal optimism. What that means to me is, A, the optimism part is having a positive lens on the things that are happening. The eternal optimism part is eternally always learning, always curious. Now, in this place where I'm always curious and always learning, it's really hard to stay like a rock statue in one place and let that emotion, that frustration, that hard thing get me down. Because over the course of time, Andrew and Mike, I've developed this tripwire in the brain, kind of like a mental mechanism that whenever this hard thing happens, whatever that hard thing might be, I found a way to pause and to appreciate that this is the gift that's in front of me, that God has given me this gift right here in front of me right now to learn and inspire and use to teach the world something. An example, what's the public speaker's worst nightmare? Forgetting what they're going to say, or maybe their pants falling down. Both of the things have happened to me, by the way, in public speaking. And I remember most recently, I was given a speech about four years ago in front of 130 people. And I was two minutes and 47 seconds in, and I forgot the words I was going to say next. I was trying to say, from Atomic Habits, James Clear, Chapter 1, the story of the aggregation of marginal gains. I was trying to retell that story in this speech, and I kept stuttering on aggregate. I kept stuttering. So in that moment, this is a public speaker's deer in headlights moment. I paused, and in my mind, for ever so quick of a time, it's probably about three or four seconds, I did this little mental checklist of, oh, this is what it feels like to be fish out of water, deer in headlights, forget what you're saying. And if this is the most challenging thing that I'm going to face, then you know what? I think I'm going to be okay. And I have practiced that in every situation that's recurred over and over again and been challenging. 
this tripwire happens in the brain where it's now, man, I appreciate this particular moment because I'm going to learn something. I'm going to use what I'm learning to be a better father, to be a better husband, to be a better man, coach, and human being. So that's the tripwire. That's the practice. By the way, this is not easy. This is hard. It's hard to get to that place where you now have a new hardwired in the way you think. How might you get there? Well, you might get there by considering who are the people you surround yourself with. You know, I am not surrounded by a bunch of people that complain all the time, right? And I think that's important. I think that's important, right? Because if you're around people that are constantly negative, then you know, that's going to bring you down a little bit too. Number two, I don't pay attention to the news. I have no idea what the news story is right now because I tell you what, I don't even need to watch it. I know what it is. It's 10 to 1 negative stories to positive stories. There's some murder. There's some shootings. There's some pillaging and plundering. There's some war. There's some blaming. There's some politics. Then there's one positive story that's kind of semi-positive. So you ask me, how do we get to that spot? A lot of practice and patience. Practice makes progress. No such thing as practice makes perfection. There's no such thing as practice makes perfect. That's a, that is a hogwash story that some gypsy told people a long time ago to try to sell them on some idea. Practice does not make perfect. Practice makes progress. That's what we seek. So those are some ideas on how we got to this optimism place. It's tried and tested through practice. Yeah, I just wanted to echo that you said it's hard because frankly, even as a business owner, one of the things that we'll say to our clients is if it's easy, the business owner should not be doing it. You should be delegating it or automating it if it's easy, right? You should be doing the hard things as a business owner. Then if it's easy, someone else can do it. And if the hard things of what you're saying as an entrepreneur or as just a family person or as just a responsible human, do the hard things. And those hard things take the discipline and the practice. And for you, coming from someone who broke their back, and had the physical limitations of most people's fears, let's call it that way, you have overcome it and you have the right to say, hey, other people can overcome the hard by doing the daily hard. So I just want to acknowledge that and bring that in and just appreciate you for sharing your stories, your wisdom. I mean, shit, we could talk for another probably two hours, but unfortunately, I know we all have a hard stop here shortly. So we like to end every episode by asking our guests three questions. These questions will just kind of short hitting whatever direction you'd like to go. And we'd also like to hear where people could find you, learn more about what you're up to. So the first question that we like to ask all of our guests is, what do you think the world needs most today, Matt? I would love to see an inspiring, positive leader. I would love to see someone step up and say that there is a bright path that we can follow and lead that way. Right now, when I see leaders, I see leaders that are jockeying for positions of, well, their stories are all, what I would say, negative. They're divisive. I see that politically here in the United States more and more pronounced since I've been able to vote. I simply want a leader who leads through optimism, who leads through that positivity. By the way, this is not unbridled, rosy colored glasses, all pixie dust and all positive and all ends. There are a lot of challenges. I admit that and acknowledge that. I believe that when someone can get to a place where they see optimism and realism, not as separate entities or separate ideologies, but as the same, 
that's the person I want to follow. That's the leader that I would lay it down and follow. And I think that there are some, maybe there are some religious figures that people believe in and have faith in that may have had something like that. But any person in real life, I'm seeing a lot of divisiveness. So I'm looking for someone that can blend optimism and realism, making the same thing. That's what I like to see. Beautiful. What one to three books would you recommend everyone read? If you're an entrepreneur, one of the things they don't teach you in entrepreneur school, they don't teach you the act of actually running a business and looking at a profit loss and understanding the numbers of your business. So this may be a little bit obscure of a reference, but it's one I've been coaching to a lot recently. I love this book right here, Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits by Crabtree. You know, it's a good understanding for the layperson who's probably really good at selling or really good at delivering their product or service. They don't understand the mechanics of a business. This is simple terms how to understand the mechanics of a business. So simple numbers, straight talk, big profits. Greg Crabtree is excellent. I'd say number two, I've already mentioned it, and I'll mention it again. If you're a recovering perfectionist and a highly functioning workaholic and you're stressed out of your mind and you have a lot of anxiety, this might be the book for you. It's The Gap in the Game by Dan Sullivan, Basics of the Strategic Coach Program. And then if I had to give one more, man, there are so many out there. If you have a huge heart, and you believe in the power of people, you believe in the infinite potential of people, then I'd say you could expand upon that if you read this book, Conversations Worth Having, you know, by Jackie Stavros. I got this one back from my friend John Berghoff from the exchange community a couple of years ago, and I've been reading it, and there's some great stuff in it. In fact, if I could just take one moment and read to you the best quote in the whole book, in my opinion, on page five, when you approach each vital conversation as if it could become the most important conversation you might ever have, you can create a positive legacy. How often do we think of our next conversation with this kind of alertness and high anticipation? And team, what I take from that is everything that we have in the entire world is right now in this moment, in the conversation that we are in. Be present to the magic in every conversation because anything could happen right now in the conversation. Our conversation, whatever one you're having with your family, that is the quality of the relationship, is the quality of your current conversation. So be present and give it your best. That's the third book. Damn, that book's yeah, been sitting. That, if, if, if. that book's been sitting on my shelf for so <laughs> if long. There were a fourth book. <laughs> I got to check it out now. <laughs> it's good. It's exceptional. If there were a fourth book, then I'll throw this out there as a little precursor. In December of 2023, my first book will be coming out. I'm excited about this. I've inked the deal a couple weeks yeah. ago, and Mark Victor Hansen's publishing company is going to publish my first book. Mm. And there's going to be some themes of eternal optimism in it. It's going to be a fictional book, and you'll see some of the things we talked about today in a couple of chapters. But a book coming up end of the year and i'll be sure to get that out to you guys you can take a Hell look yeah. at it so yeah look for that book uh, name to be determined that's later amazing thank you Congrats. congratulations and that's exciting our third question matt and then we could let the audience know where to find more of you is what does it mean to you to be better than rich mm. so better than rich to me when i heard that my instantaneous thought was to think of riches and, and money then i thought about it my family mom and dad's side neither one of them grew up rich with money they grew up rich with love. My dad's side came from a farm. They grew up with a rich family who loved each other. You know, three brothers and a mom and dad, and they were close. My mom, she grew up the exact opposite. Abuse, welfare, number of different father figures over time, single mom background. She grew up in a tougher position as a child. She still had a richness and love from her mom and her brothers. And I think about that, and when you say better than rich, I think better than rich to me means 
a fullness of heart, a richness in love in my heart for the people that are most important to me around me. I always thought of it as a financial thing, the word rich, but now being a father and being a husband and being a leader of communities, I think better than rich is being full, having your glass full, your heart full in love with people around you. Yeah. Well, hey, thank you so much, Matt. This has been amazing. If people want to stay in touch, maybe they want to check out the podcast, where can they learn more? Well, eternaloptimistpodcast.com is the website for the podcast, my coaching company, proadvisorcoach.com. And where I would really love to see him show up is to show up on my Facebook and Instagram accounts at 7 a.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday, I do a live stream. And on the live stream, I'll normally riff for about 10 or 20 minutes. I'll read my journal every morning out loud, share some learning lessons from the previous day, share the gains from the previous day, and we'll talk about regular real-time issues that are happening in the world and just give an eternal optimist perspective on it. It is highly improvisational, and we do it every day. And sometimes the kids crash it. Like this morning, my four-year-old sat in my lap the whole time. We basically talked in a walkie-talkie for 10 minutes. It was fun. love to do it every day. So follow me there and watch. Watch. After July 4th, launching a mastermind course. I'll let you know more about it as time goes on. But watch after July 4th, the mastermind, where I'm going to teach business owners some very specific set of skills. I'm not going to tell you what they are right now because I haven't figured them all out. My coach is helping me to refine and complete the mastermind course. That's coming after July 4th. So those are a couple places that we can connect, team. Sounds yeah, incredible. I mean, I had no idea you went live every day at seven. I mean, that's commitment right there. And listener, if you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have, check out what Matt's up to. I mean, he's the real deal, really knows what he's talking about. And from this interaction, it's really clear to me, Matt, that you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. So I just want to reflect that to you. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate yeah. it. And I always like to finish with one last thought. It might be this. And anyone out there listening, be ready to have a big, bold ask, whatever it is. If you want something in your life, then you've got to go get it. You've got to ask for it in some cases. And I have a big ask of our listeners here and in any show and everywhere. My ask, and this may be highly personal to me and it may sound kind of petty to others. It's important to me. My ask is I would like to play Augusta National Golf Club. And if anyone out there has a connection to get on Augusta National, I would gladly trade some coaching Dude, to get on. We Augusta got you. National one of our buddies. One of our buddies so, is Rob, Rob Brandt Brand. is working it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least let's, okay. let's Rob. It. I mean, he might be able to hook you up. He uh, he, uh, he gets paid to work Augusta. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, looking forward to that uh, to that introduction, guys. Thank <laughs> and, you. And if if not, well, someone else. If for some reason we can't get the hookup, listeners, inundate Matt's inbox or social inboxes with invites into Augusta yes. National so he can live his Let's dream. Do it. I love that. Cool. Well, thank you so cool. much. Assuming this episode helped you, it's your turn, listener, to share this episode with a friend. Pass it on to somebody who needs a little bit more eternal optimism in their life. If there was a lesson that stood out, let us know in the comments. Let us know what you really enjoyed from this conversation. And make sure that you also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or also on YouTube. Also, you can leave us a rating or review that helps other people find us. And until next week, remember to leave today better than you found it. We'll see you then. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at the better than rich show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.